you have your Bibles, turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. No one likes when others steal from them. What hurts even more is when it's those that are closest to us who we would assume would never do something like that to us. The sense of being violated hurts to the very core of our being. You see, if only we viewed it from God's eyes and how we've treated him with what he's given us, we might be able to see clearly how we have robbed him. In Malachi chapter 3, we see God's continual reminder of his immutability and call to repent. The particular area that is addressed is one that gets very personal. It's the area of possessions, or for them, crops, and what God had blessed them with. And for us, in our modern context and economy, money. When God is calling for them to return to him, they ask the question, in what way shall we return? In what way shall we return? Well, Malachi 3, verses 8 through 9 says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Will a man rob God? It's a rhetorical question that God asks and gives them an answer to that question right away. He says, you have robbed me. The idea of rob here is to defraud or to take forcibly. What should be obvious to many, they act oblivious about. In fact, what they would always seem to know clearly what they're doing is wrong. They played what many people play today. I didn't know. I had no clue that was wrong. As some of us as parents know when it comes to children, when our children plays the stupid card. I didn't know that you said this. Oh, but you did. I told you five times. And you still did what you shouldn't have done. You see, God gets right to it. He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Before we get into what exactly the tithe and offerings are, it's important to mention that the tithe of the Old Testament is not what prosperity preachers want to claim. Okay? It's not that if you give 10% now, God will give you 20% later. It's not if you and I are, are people that give God 10% of our income that tomorrow a Lamborghini is going to show up at our door. That's not what the tithe is all about in Scripture. It's not if you and I are stingy people, then there will be consequences, essentially, in that God will never give you anything in life. There are consequences if we're stingy, but those consequences are determined by God, not by any one of us. Believe it or not, it's not, the tithe that's mentioned here is not just 10%. It's not 
in our modern context, if you give 10%, God will double your money in less than six months. You see, all of the attempts to merge what's in this text with the New Testament is a dangerous precedent to set. Every pastor knows that when they get to texts like this, man, it'll preach well to go, if you don't give, God's not going to give you. And you better give a lot more to the church. And if you're not giving more to the church, you're not really going to be blessed by God, which means that you're not a good child of God. There's easy things to guilt trip people over. But what is the text saying? And what are the biblical principles that we see in the New Testament? You see, all of the attempts to merge what's in this text with the New Testament is a very dangerous precedent. Especially when there's a context that needs to be addressed. There's a specific group of people that are being addressed here in this context. The context is the nation of Israel who had certain tithes and offerings that they were to participate in. By the way, tithe does mean tenth, in case you're wondering. It does. But notice what the text says. Does it say tithe in the singular or the plural? Plural. So we're talking more than 10%, right? At a basic knowledge of what we're seeing here, we know that this is more than 10% right off the bat. So the part of the tenth is correct, but those that argue for the tenth need to understand that there's more that's implied here, in context, in contextually speaking. In fact, here's where you and I are going to learn quite a bit today. There are three different tithes that are being referred to here. Number one, the support for the Levites. Numbers 18, 21 through 24. Number two, the support for the feast or the temple. Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 7 and 10 through 19. Then number three, support for the poor. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29. So number one, the support for the Levites. We see that in Numbers 18, 21 through 24. There are other texts, but these are the main ones we're going to be looking at this morning. In verse 21 of Numbers chapter 18, it says this, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. You see, the Levites were responsible in leading worship. They were copying scrolls many times that were being worn out and recopying them again, taking care of the needs and upkeep of the temple and the tabernacle. They were not allowed to work outside of this responsibility, and they depended solely on the tithes from the people of Israel. Number two, the second tithe that we're going to talk about, and we'll wrap all of this together later, is the support for the feast and the temple. And we're going to read the Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27 portion today. It says this, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. 
And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires. Wow, what a great tithe, huh? Whatever your heart desires. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. So the difference here is the first tithe directly went to help the Levites in supporting them with whatever is needed. Regular people were not to partake of that tithe. The second tithe was to be eaten by the giver, and the Levites were included as more of a celebratory tithe partaken at the spot that God would design, designate the temple in many cases. Looking at other texts, if a person could not bring the crops with them, they could bring money then to use to celebrate the feast of the Lord. So essentially, this second tithe was a celebratory tithe. There's a lot more leeway in what was brought, and they got to participate with it. The third one was a tithe for the poor, support for the poor. Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of the produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levi, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. This last one, this last tithe was collected every three years to help those that were in need in the community, the widows and the orphans. If you were to add up all these tithes together, 10% of the whole, then 10% of that, then 10% of that that's remaining, you have a total of about 23.3% per year that these people would tithe. With the poor tithe being collected every three years. So if you want to be technical, the 10% everyone mentions is only a portion of what's really mentioned here. Wait a second, you mean that I now have to... We'll get up to that. The tithes that were paid by the children of Israel were under a Mosaic law. It was a requirement. In fact, Wearsby says this, the annual tithe was given to the Levites, who in turn gave a tithe of that income to the priests. When a worshiper brought his tithe to the temple, he could use part of it to enjoy a special meal with his family and the Levites. Every third year, a tithe was to be brought to the leaders locally to be used for the poor. The purpose of the tithe in the Old Testament, particularly the nation of Israel, was for economic reasons. It was essentially almost a tax for how their society was run. The tithes here were more of a mandatory tax almost to be taken care of when it comes to the things of God and the people of God. And also to take care of the poor that were in their midst. 
So the question then becomes this. What is God referring to when he says that they've robbed him? What is he talking about? Which one of these ties is probably mentioned? Well, the truth is, they essentially were not providing for the Levites in their ministry by storing away the food for them and what was offered was always the stuff they didn't want to begin with. Hence the sick and lame that were offered in sacrifices that we saw earlier. In fact, you see a contemporary of Malachi, Nehemiah, who mentions something about this when he comes back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 10 through 12, we read this. This is Nehemiah speaking. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. You see, what Nehemiah realized as he returned was things were not done correctly. The Levites were not being taken care of. And they were going against their commitment to the service of God by going back and working other jobs to provide for their families. He calls it out, and he makes it a point to get food back into the reserves for the Levites to be taken care of. You see, the truth is, what had happened in that nation is the Levites were called to, worship, to lead in worship, but they were not able to provide for their own households with what was being brought. So they had to go out and become just like everybody else and working a regular job, tilling the fields to provide for their families. Back in Malachi, as God is speaking through Malachi, he tells the people that they are cursed as a nation because this was systemic. These people were stingy and ungrateful for what God had given, him, given them. Which is essentially how so many of us are, aren't we? These people were taken out of their land into captivity, returned, given a fresh start. And what do they do? They don't offer God what's his. They essentially squandered it. They didn't give as God had commanded, though they were doing better than they were when they were in captivity. They gave to other gods instead of the God that they were to worship. Think of it this way. They came back to their land, and guess what they still did? Went to worship other gods nearby. You would think seeing the mighty hand of God bringing you back to your land would give you an indication to worship him. But instead, we're going to give God the cheap stuff. We're going to give that false God nearby what we think he deserves or she deserves. It seems so tragic to us as Christians today. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, we give to the world a lot more than we give to God many times. We spend our money on things that truly do not matter before God. Money is a great indicator of where our heart is. And believe it or not, believer, Jesus talks about money and possessions quite often. What you and I spend our money on tells us where our priorities are. 
Let's take a look at verse 10 and what God tells them to do here in this text. So what does God say after he tells them that they've robbed him? Here's what he says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So, so what does God want them to do in this situation after he tells them, you've robbed me? Does he ask them to say some long prayers? Does he say, offer me double the offerings? Does he say, read the law five more times? No, you know what God says? And he tells us the same thing throughout the Bible. Just do what you're supposed to. Just do what I told you to do originally. What an excellent point that so many of us should pay attention to when we sin and do wrong. So many of us think that God wants us to do something extra because we did something wrong. We try to do something he never asked us to do when we do wrong before him. Confess your sin and forsake it. Do what you're supposed to. It's one of the reasons why, I don't know if you know this, but criminals, when they steal, will give some of it away so they appease their conscience. Christians borrow that same analogy in their own lives. They do something wrong before God, and they feel like, in appeasing God, i got to do something different now to make him happy with me. So many people get convicted over something, and they go to the extreme. Overdoing it in commitments of reading the whole Bible in a month, praying seven times a day, because David prays seven times, doing their kind deed for the day, all in an attempt to win favor back with God, and God's going, listen, I just need you to confess and do right by what you did wrong. Just do what you're supposed to. Instead of being convicted and overcommitting, do what you were supposed to originally. There are scores of people that have failed God wanting to do other things than the thing that he told them to do. One of the reasons why so many of us will give ourselves a pass in what we do wrong because we do something else that God wants us to do somewhere else. Well, I know, God, I know you told me I needed to fix this right here, but you know what? I'm doing this for you, see? Are you happy with me? God, I know I'm not serving you as I should. Then don't start serving others more and neglecting your own family. God, I know you want me to be kind to others. So I'll turn into a doormat that the others can stomp on. God, I know that you want me to give more. Then don't commit to giving something you can't deliver on and make you a liar. God is telling the nation, bring the tithes to the storehouse. Refill what was owed. Whatever is to belong there, bring it back. And see if I don't bless you. 
He says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And he goes even further. He says, I rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Everything that you do is going to prosper if you do what I ask, children of Israel. The work that you're doing to provide for your family is going to be blessed. I'm going to take care of you. And at the end, you're going to be a testimony to people around. Verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God is saying, what I've given you will only increase if you just do as you should. I will make sure the harvest truly flourishes and other nations will be impressed with what I have blessed you with. Here's the biggest problem with many a follower of God. They think that God wants something big to be impressed with. You know what he wants? Literally mentions it all over the Bible. He wants simple obedience. He wants simple obedience. In fact, Samuel tells Saul as he brags of what he's done in offering to the Lord. He tells him a verse that we're all familiar with if we've grown up in church. Obedience is better than sacrifice. In fact, if you were to read the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13, if anybody is familiar with the love chapter, if it says, what, what does it remind us of? If I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. It's worthless. Because God is after the simple obedience. Just obey. I know some of us want to do the big things for God. And believe it, those big things will come if you do the small things correctly. In fact, in Luke 16, 10, Jesus says this, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Charles Spurgeon, in line with what's said here, says this, God has a way of giving by the cartloads to those who give away by the shovelfuls. You want to know why certain people are blessed by God more than others? It's because they do the things that others don't think matter correctly. The little things well. We need to do those simple things well by being obedient where we are called. Why don't we have, fill in the blank, whatever it is that you really want God to do for you in your life? Ask yourself the simple question, are you faithful in the little things that he's called you to today? Are you faithful in the little you already have? Don't be fooled by what takes years to build that you want back in a moment of repentance. Let me repeat myself on this one. Don't be fooled by what takes years to build that you want back in a moment of repentance. God doesn't instantly give them full crops the next day if they were to follow him. It still takes time for the crops to grow again. 
The big question here that many ask in this text, if the tithe is for the nation of Israel, does this apply to me? No, it does not. That's what a lot of you are thinking right now without saying it. But the New Testament does give you principles that you and I are to follow. That are still good for all of us to follow. In fact, the main text about giving that we as believers need to look at is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 2. Here's what it says. This is Paul speaking. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. This text gives great principles to follow in how we are to operate as a New Testament church. Number one, as you see in this text, giving ought to be done regularly, the first day of the week. There's a system to this whole thing. You're not haphazardly giving five here, 20 there, a dollar there, just randomly thinking of numbers every week. Have a system in place. Paul is telling them, listen, on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside. So number two, personally, let each one of you. This is to be personal for all of us. If you're ahead of a home, you ought to have something in your house as a standard that you've set up on what you would like to give. Personally, individually. You are not to tell another person how much they should give. That person ought to, before God, say, you know what? God, here's what I can commit to and I want to give. Number three, intentionally. Lay something aside. Believer, you won't give unless you put something aside specifically for that. What's amazing is how much people budget for every other area of their life but giving. They budget for their food every month, their bills every month, their mortgage every month, their insurance every month. But giving, eh, I'll do whatever's left. That's my budget for giving. It needs to be intentional. There needs to be something that you lay aside for that. And you go, here's the amount, God, that is yours, will always be yours. And number four, proportionally. What do we mean by that? Storing up as he may prosper. In light of how much you bring in, it should be proportional to that. You may have harder seasons in your life that maybe you need to make some adjustments. But when God blesses you, are, st are you still as stingy, if you will? Or are you more willing to let go of some of that? Because we've all hit low points in life. We've all struggled financially in here, if you were to be honest. The question is, when God blesses you, you're out of that rut, that mess that you created many times. Whether it's credit card debt, a bunch of other things, that you, you know, student loans, whatever it is in our economy today. You got yourself in a mess. You've worked your way out of that mess by God's grace. Are you now able to give more? Yes. Are you doing that? Or are you just as stingy as you were back then? 
Believer, your responsibility, my responsibility to give shows up in different areas. And I want to give you four practical areas that you and I need to strongly consider at all times when it comes to money and giving. Number one, all of you are going to agree with me on this one. This will be an easy one. The home. 1 Timothy 5.8, we need to take care of what God's given us and the priority of our own families. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. One of the traps in the church many times is that the church is asked to do things that the family should be taken care of. Other people in the church are asked to do what God has already designated the family needs to take care of first. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're watching this online, you're here, God has called you, if you're a parent, to take care of your family. You know what he has not called you to? Go to someone else in the church and say, help my kids. Your first priority is for you to take care of your family. Now, if there are circumstances where you can't help them, things come up, then yes, of course, bring that before the leadership and let's see if we can help you out. But if your first reaction is, let me have somebody else take care of the responsibility God's given me, then you're not doing what God says. The responsibility to give shows up in this area. Number one, your home. Are you taking care of what God's already put under your responsibility? Most of us in here are like, amen, I agree. My kids are my world. I give everything to them. Well, that's part of the problem. If you give all of it to your kids, you're not going to have time, room to do anything else. Number two. This kind of ties into what we mentioned the first one. Those in need. James 2, 15 through 17. Those that are in need within our Christian community. It says this, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Brothers and sisters, there are times where we will have brothers and sisters in our midst that are in need, and we need to help them out. We need to help them out. But that has to be in light of what the first point is, is that person doing what they can and providing for their own. George Mueller says, God judges what we give by what we keep. I want you to think about that. So we have the home that's a responsibility that we have to give. We have those that are in need in our Christian community, maybe even in our local community here in Springfield. Number three, another responsibility is missions and ministry. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 14. Those that minister for the gospel should be given support even as the Levites priests did. If you think that that's not biblical, well, you need to read what the text says in 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 7 through 14 says this, Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. 
This is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. This is an area that is controversial in the church today, but it is nonetheless a principle of the New Testament. That those that minister, whether it's chosen people ministry, whether it's Dan and Vicki Benson, whoever it is, whatever ministry it is, they are to live from the gospel ministry itself. They're to be supported, to be given to for that ministry. And this, unfortunately, is one of the areas that many times in the church people think of when they think of giving, they're like, this is the category, I don't want anything to do with that. Those people, they're in it for the money. And Scripture simply says, listen, if they're ministering in the gospel, you need to provide for them materially. Don't hesitate to do number three by taking one of the other categories and elevate them as the most important. And let me explain what I mean by that. Your Heavenly Father provides for your needs and my needs, right? We know those texts of Scripture. says He provides for our needs according to His riches and glory. We know those texts. We're very familiar with them. And I'm going to challenge you later on as we close. Maybe in the areas that we give and we think we're doing right by God, maybe we've taken away from one to not give to something else God may want us to do. And I want you to think about that. Because number four, the last area of responsibility is in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. You have to give with intention. Intention. God wants you to give intentionally with purpose, not just haphazardly. I feel like it today. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8 says this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Believer, God does not want you and I to approach giving as something that just comes up when we get stirred about it. Right? Like that kind deed for the day. Someone paid for my coffee at Starbucks. Now I'm going to do that for the next guy. Great. Wonderful. That's haphazard. That's not intentional. You know who's intentional out of that whole process? The first guy. That's the only one that was intentional there. The others were reactive. The others were, someone did it for me, so I'll do it for them. And then they realized the one in front of them ordered quite a bit. The one behind them ordered quite a bit. Probably not. I'll be the one breaking that chain. Not as generous this time. Maybe next time for one coffee. Adrian Rogers says this. He says, 
it's what you sow that multiplies, not what you keep in the barn. A lot of us are playing it quite safe sometimes. I would argue that we do rob God when we don't intentionally do what he's called us to. As New Testament saints. Sure, the tithe is not mandated as it was in the Old Testament, but it is a good principle to be reminded of. God blesses the one that is a giver, not the one that is stingy with what he's already given him. And, and believe me, I just want to pause and say this. Don't ever say, when I have this amount, I'll give. Okay? Don't, don't buy into that garbage. You're not giving now, you're not going to give later. You're going to give in proportion to what you give now if you ever got a lot, large sum of money given to you tomorrow. You'll give proportionally to what you give now if you won the lottery. It's all about intentionality and giving. It's a lifestyle. God wants you to be intentional about this. Notice what I'm trying not to do here is I don't want to guilt trip you brothers and sisters to give. I want you to give because you want to give. My goal for every believer in, in this church and that's watching online is for you to give based on what God's done for you, not because of a pastor telling you you ought to give. Intentionality in giving is a lifestyle. And the question you ought to ask yourself is, am I a giving person? So as we close, I want to ask this question. How is your giving? How is your giving? No, you and I are not under the Mosaic law that we need to give over 20% as a mandatory tithe. We're not under that. You're right. The question you and I should ask is, how is my generosity? Am I, am I known as someone that's generous with what God's given me? Or do people kind of see me as a stingy person, only caring about themselves? I mean, most of us, if we have a family, are probably generous with our kids. I hope so. I hope you're generous with your kids. I hope, dads, you're not spending all that money on toys that you want. I hope you buy your kids the better shoes. That's a great thing. God is good who gives us good gifts as his children. The question then becomes, are we providing for our families at the expense of giving to other things? Let me explain what I mean by that. This is the area I want to challenge you. God provides for our needs, not our wants. Are you providing for your children's need, if you're a parent, or their wants? And I'm not saying you shouldn't give wants sometimes. God gives us what we want as well sometimes. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But I want us to think through this for a moment. Maybe in areas that we give to our children thinking, man, this is going to be so good for them. I'm so happy about them. We're taking away from some other opportunity God has for us to give. Maybe there's another area of giving that we could do if we did a little less over here because our kids really don't need that. We just want to get it to, for them. I hope you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't bless your kids and give them good gifts. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is sometimes in order for us to do what God's called us to in every area, we ought to be willing to say, you know what, maybe this area right here, we could be more sacrificial and give more over here. What God wouldn't want you to do, and I want to make sure you hear me on this, is take away from your children's food to go buy something for somebody else or help someone else out. I mean, we all want to give our children the nicest gifts for Christmas, don't we? We got Christmas coming up, right? What about the other areas that God encourages us to give? 
Have you thought about that for a moment? And, and I'm going to tell you right now, parents, this is an area of conviction for me. I struggle sometimes as a parent. What am I teaching my kids in giving if I think of only them? And there are other people around me that God may want me to give to, other ministries to support, other things to donate to. If my world revolves around my children, then I have a very small view of what God wants me to do. If we have Christmas coming up and there are kids around the world that truly need the gospel and need some shoes and we're not giving to that, but we're just making sure our kids have like very expensive stuff, then I think sometimes we need to re recalibrate our, our priorities. You can do the stuff, do it, but don't neglect the other things. What about those that are in need? One of the most touching things I've seen probably in my life, and I say this as an example to me, when I got married with my wife years ago in Georgia, one of the things that blew my mind, and I'm going to be right up front about this, I'm not saying this as a, as a story to say that this is always the way it is, it isn't, but it is an example just, just for me as a, as, a, as a pastor now that really kind of put things in context for me. I had family and friends who I know financially didn't have much money give us gifts that were much greater than those that had a lot more. It blew me away. I didn't understand. I'm literally, how is this person even giving this amount of money to us for our wedding? And it reminded me of one thing. Some people understand what sacrifice means. It's not a matter of how much you make. It's a matter of how much you're willing to give. How much are we willing to give? Because I think sometimes our view of money is so earthly-based, we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see that God blesses those that really give. He really does. The blessing is in the giving many times, not in the receiving. I don't think we believe that. I think we say that we believe that, but our lives don't claim that in the way that we live. We say, I believe that you, God, you, you, you bless when we give. And yet when we give, it's so minuscule in comparison to what God would want us to do. God blesses each one of us in so many ways, and we're so stingy with the things that we ought to be willing to give back. Because the reality is the tithe was to be returned. You know why? It's all God's anyways, believer. You're not giving God something he doesn't already own. In fact, if God wanted to call it back, he could call it back today. He could take away everything you and I own in an instant. And don't, don't think for a moment with everything going on in the world, that can't happen. So what about missions and ministry? Are we promised, well, as we promised to support, have we been giving to that consistently, faithfully? Or is that now optional because times are tough? I know I committed to that, but you know, it's a little harder now, so I can't give as much. Or maybe it's simply because we've spent more on stuff that we want more than what we committed to God. Believer, I do really want to ask you this. Are you intentional in your giving? Is it something you actually intentionally do? It's not haphazard. 
It's not just off the cuff. It's not when I have a warm feeling that I'm going to do something. It's not when pastor preaches a message on giving. It's because that's really a part of my life. I care to do this because God wants me to do this. You and I should not just be convicted to give. We should want to give out of a generous, cheerful heart. One of the worst ways to give to the church, and I'm sincere when I say this, is out of compulsion. I don't need you to be motivated by guilt. You should be motivated, motivated by grace. Because of all that God's done for you, you can't help but give back. You're amazing, God. Look at what you've done for me and my family. Look at all the things that you've given us. Look at the beautiful home we get to live in. Look at the cars that we get to drive. What are we so lacking in gratefulness for? It's more blessed to give than to receive, believer. I want you and I to take in that text of Scripture. Because I think many times we claim it without living it. If we truly believe it's more blessed to give than to receive, then let's be givers today.